Wednesday, February 10th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, joined by Eno Saris, who's fresh off the court. Man, I hear you're swatting guys who are 6'10", draining buckets. How was it out there today, Eno? It was pretty good. I, this is the first time I played basketball in about three months because of Achilles tendon issues. And it was just good to get out there and play and play hard. But <laughs> I was so out of shape. We played full court, and I always play this rabbit stretch four guy. And he just, he just as soon as the, there's a rebound, he just runs. And I'm like, oh, God, he's like a, a former marathon runner. You know, <laughs> just... I, I'm sorry to kind of tell you this, but, you know, Rotowire had the updates about how you were going to be playing. And so I started that guy against you in my, uh, yeah. in my DraftKings lineup. I just, I, he was at too good of a price. And I'm in first uh, going into tonight's games with that guy. So that that's huge for me. Daily play. Well, you know, another guy, another fun thing that we have in our in our in our weekly game is a a six foot ten German dude named Ole, who uh, actually came to uh, America to play. I think it was volleyball in Hawaii at, at a D one school. So oh wow, he's super athletic and he always breaks the game when he plays because. <laughs> We have to like drape three guys around. Of him. course, of course. And uh, and so it, so he he they, their team won all three games because I would have had to basically make all my threes and I missed all of them. But uh, they felt good coming out of my hand. I had a couple really good moves where I faked three and, and drove all the way in. A couple pick and pops and uh, a couple good cuts. So I, I feel pretty good for the first time out there in a long time and. Uh, since the threes felt so good coming out of my hand, I feel like it's going to be a good year for me. But uh, I feel like you got to keep hey, shooting. Mid thirties is not as old as as it sounds. That's the thing; you got to get out there. You're not going to see the results instantly, especially if you haven't been out there for a little bit. And I think that's something that's tough for people to remember. They get out and do their physical activity, and it's uh, you know surprise, surprise, difficult. And they're like, "Oh, come on." Why don't I have a six-pack yet? I played hoops for two hours today. <laughs> what the freak, man? And that's just not how it works. But uh, <laughs> we'll be staying. We'll be staying on your basketball uh, games. We'll be talking about them as as the summer goes along. You better get that Steph Curry pregame going. You'll be you'll be draining threes left and right. Maybe you can. Well, I didn't miss. I didn't miss all of mine. I did a Steph Curry move today where I faked a drive in, stepped back behind three, and drained one. That was that was the, one of the most fun ones of the day. It's really funny that you mentioned that because, honestly, whenever I think of Steph Curry, that is definitely the mental image. That's the move, yep, right? Yeah. Yep, that step back. Oh, he's going he's gonna to drive. Everyone crashed to the, to the paint mm -hmm. there. Nope, backs up, drains mm -hmm. it. Guy's unbelievable. Uh, you can post your stats, you know, on Twitter. We could we could follow him there at Eno Saris. I got yelled at. I got yelled at for that a couple times. Nah, I'm I'm way down for it. I'm always talking about softball, and uh, I'll, I'll be on Twitter <laughs> at Spore letting you guys know when I go four for five in softball, uh, hitting 800, which is actually bad. You got to hit like over a thousand somehow. Uh, <laughs> rate and review the podcast on iTunes. I'll, I'll, you know, I'm on repeat at this point. You guys are just. Uh, Absolutely dominating that. We're at five stars, 329 reviews. 291 of them are five stars. Definitely leave your comments there. Let us know if there's anything you want us to work on, too, because we are open to that. Just be polite about it. We're definitely down for some constructive criticism. Uh, but also just say really good things, too. Like give a five star, but then put in your little commentary. We do have a big move. We're, we're listening. We're listening. I think you might notice some more segment type stuff. And exactly. um, I, I, hopefully, hopefully fewer uhs from me. Wait. And uh, sorry to that guy who hates for uh, listen. Uh, it happens. He still hates. It happens. <laughs> I don't. I honestly don't 
really blame anybody that uh, that, that hates me. Uh, I'm just kidding. Obviously, I'm amazing. No, but the one that is the, the most constant throughout the entire podcast industry is mentioning the names. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to brag for a minute and say that I think we're the best ones doing that in terms of making sure that we consistently mention the names in the midst of talking about guys and at the end of a segment where we talk about somebody. At some point, dear listener, you actually have to listen. I mean, we can't just say Giovanni Gallardo signed with Baltimore because Gallardo has a diff- this pitch and he's going to be <laughs> Gallardo's going to be the third starter because Gallardo's out there pitching because Gallardo's really good at pitching. I mean, it, there there has to be a limit. So on some level, you have to also listen. So that's my that's my little critique, if you will, my friendly critique for for the listener too. We're definitely going to be trying to cut the pronouns, especially once we get you know five six minutes on a guy. And as an avid podcast listener, I can relate. I totally get it. But I'll put us up against anybody as the best ones doing it out there in terms of making sure we mention that name so you don't have to do the rewind a lot. And one last congratulations. Uh, hopefully this year you, you, we'll, have to, we'll have to win for Best Cod Podcast this year. But uh, Fantasy Sports Writers Association Awards came through. And uh, our own Mikey and P, Mike. Mikey Podhortzer, a former, former uh, host of this, this year's podcast, was uh, a winner of Writer of the Year. And, and then Alex Chamberlain was... Uh, was winner of newcomer of the year. So we, we, we have some, and we, you know, we have finalists, we have Jeff Zimmerman on staff. He won last year for mash and we have, you know, so you were a, a dual finalist and I, I've been a finalist before. Colette has and, won. Uh, I, I won one and Colette has won. So we, you know, it's a, it's a crackerjack staff for autographs. We added some new guys that I think you're going to like this year and, um, and hopefully we'll win us some more awards going forward. So thanks guys for just, uh, you know, following along, listening and having fun with us. I really, yeah, I have to echo that. I really appreciate all the support uh, that that you guys and gals are throwing out there. Let's jump in. We got a bit, we got a big transaction to talk about. I hinted at it with my little joking about the uh, the name thing, and then we're gonna. I, I said we were gonna move on to hitters because we've done so many pitching episodes recently. But I'm making an exception, and I think everyone will be okay with it because you posted your starting pitcher ranks recently, and we got to dive into those. So it is gonna be another pitching centric episode. Again, I doubt many of you are complaining since we will be talking about Eno's ranks, uh, but we will get to hitters next week. Let's start with the Gallardo to Baltimore move. It's a three-year deal. They were kind of talking about it, talking about it, then boom, it happened. The problem here is obviously that Baltimore has to give up a pick from a, a farm system that they, you know, is already under uh, understaffed, if you will. There's not a ton of talent coming out there, and two of their best guys, Dylan Bundy and Hunter Harvey, are hurt. So this is another hit for the, the minor league system of Baltimore, but they're in their window right now. So I, I to an extent, I definitely get it. They want to do as much as they can to try to win right now. And, and getting a piece like Gallardo, who's not great as, so much from a fantasy angle, but from a quote-unquote real fan, uh, real baseball angle, delivers those kind of 200-inning seasons uh, that can be at the middle slash front end of the rotation. What do you think of Gallardo going from Texas to Baltimore on a three-year deal? I think it's a terrible deal. I don't. They gave up. A, they gave up a pick. They, uh, I, uh, I, don't know, I, I, why, why is, is Odor Sommer Despagne like that, that much different? Is that what you're going to ask? Yeah, right. I mean, you, you're talking about a warm body when you're talking about Gallardo and, and, uh, and I just don't think that, that, you know, two warm bodies, I don't know, man. So 
I got into a, a bit of a, just in a big of an argument coming into this where I said, um, and these things are facts. Uh, I said, he has basically the worst changeup in baseball. He has a bad curveball. He has an average cutter and he has a bad fastball. So basically no pitch that he has rates as above average by, by, by grounders or by adding grounders to, to strikes. Uh, now, if, if you look at just grounders, he obviously must have a good, a decent sinker because he had a 50% ground ball rate. And that's when somebody came back to me and said, well, he had a great ground ball rate and he had a really good ERA in the, in the yeah, AL. 49% is, I don't know if I'm going to say great for Gallardo on the ground ball 25th rate. among, yeah, 25th among qualified starters. And I mean, y'all know us, ERA, actually, ERA is, is actually going to be, I'm going to give you a little preview to something we're going to talk about later. I'm actually going to use ERA. So I can't say I never use ERA. But I will say that it isn't the first tool out of the toolbox on this exactly. show. Exactly. I mean, it's just there's so much variance that goes into that. The batting average on balls in play, the hard contact, the homers, all that stuff. You know, all that stuff adds up to your ERA and just it contains so much luck. I mean, look at that whip, one four two. I mean, is there another guy who had a one four two whip and an ERA under four? That's so, what, and we always talk about that. You know, you look at the ERA and WHIP combo, and which one doesn't belong. Well, when you're talking about a 142 WHIP, it, it's not like he had Gallardo had like a 370 BABIP. It was 303. That's right around average. So, uh, you know, there's no reason that he was unlucky or anything like that to elevate the WHIP. So, I think the ERA is the one that that is a miss. By the way, I misspoke earlier. I thought he was a little bit more of a guaranteed 200 innings. He only has two 200 innings. Uh, inning seasons, and Gallardo has 181, 192, and 184 the last three years. I do think and, that— And honestly, innings by itself, I guess that's uh, interesting, except that it takes a team to give you those innings. So it's not necessarily—I guess you could I guess you could say he earned those innings and he was healthy, but, you know, basically a two-win guy for the last three years. And don't think that two wins makes you an average starting pitcher because that makes you basically a fifth pitcher. So uh, it's a little bit of a, a weird thing in wins above replacement is that I think it, it comes from the fact that you have to use basically 10 starting pitchers over the course of a season. So in a way, you can say a fifth starter is an average starting pitcher sure. in a way. And he has a lot of value that comes out of sort of counting stats, basically just being out there a lot. Yeah, just the volume. But, but if you look at a, at a guy's war and, and there's a two there, it basically means he's a four or five. So and then you, you you throw him into a mix. I, I basically what I'm saying is, yeah, he has a lot of innings, but he he hung out there forever for a reason, and that basically means that he's like a fifth, sixth starter type. And those innings depend on him being a fifth starter, but on a bunch of depth charts, he would be a sixth starter. So well, the, the the pick is what makes it so nasty for me, yeah. and that's that's why you know even kind of giving a little bit of the break for the for the real baseball angle and and that volume and kind of the lockdown of of thirty plus starts which he has done since two thousand nine for Gallardo, you know. I know that that earns him something and gets him some interest, but that pick, I think, is what kept him out there that long, and it should have because that strikeout rate has really fallen off now. It's taken a substantial jump down each of the last three years. Remember, he used to be a 24 25% kind of guy when Gallardo's back with the Brewers. Then his last couple years with the Brewers got down 19 18 and then 15 in his first year in the American League with the uh, with the Rangers. So I don't the necessarily swing strike is just is just diving with it. Which yeah, I there's think no is, reason to think he'll get better. 
Yeah, those are, those are just, uh, you know, twin kind of uh-ohs right there. And strikeouts are always a, a category in our, in our game. So, you know, I think he has a lot. You know, if I look statistically, I did a sort for ground ball rate. And, you know, that's about the best thing you could do for Gallardo right now is, is do a ground ball rate search, right? So he's right there with Ubaldo Jimenez, except he gets two and a half strikeouts fewer per game. And he has the same command issues, and he has the same ground ball rate. So they got themselves a worse Ubaldo for for cheaper. He has a lot in common with, like, a Mike Pelfrey. And, you know, best case scenario, Mike Leake. But I think if you put Mike Leake in Baltimore, things would look a lot worse. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think that the best case scenario for Gallardo going forward is like basically like a four ERA and – you know, live bodiness in like a deep league. And maybe, you know, the risk that he p- provides is that he pushes uh, Odris Simon Despagne out of the, out of the, out of the rotation, Tyler Wilson or Lions or, you know, one of these Wilson. fringe guys. Yeah. Wilson. But right now it looks like uh Ubaldo, Tyler guy, Ubaldo Jimenez, Chris Tillman, Gallardo, Gaussman, and then Mike Ryder, Miguel Gonzalez. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think the biggest risk out of the signing is for Miguel Gonzalez. And honestly, the, do we do any of us reach for other than the Gossman, which I think has the biggest upside? Do any of us really reach for an or, Orioles starter? I think no. you can throw them into a into a bag and pick one out and get four, a four ERA. So yeah. that's about, and the that's problem with Gallardo is he's going to get the worst strikeout rate out of maybe Despagne will be worse, but you know that's what makes him the the fifth, fourth, fifth, sixth guy. And uh, it gives you a chance. I mean, Miguel Gonzalez gets pop-ups. You know, there's a, there's, if he can get that skill back, there's a chance that he, he pushes his way up the depth chart. But I don't really find that group interesting because even in an AL-only league, you want a little bit of upside. You don't want to be – yeah, unless he's like a dollar guy. Then you buy Gallardo and you hope you get like a Bud Norris season out of him. But even Bud Norris <laughs> struck out. Guys. Bud so Norris. It's like, don't you don't even get Bud Norris. Don't even – that guy – when, when well, is that hey. guy ever good? No, no, I bought Bud Norris two years ago in AL Labor for like three bucks. Scrub and ass scrub. He was worth five bucks and it was an okay deal. But that's that's the best you're going to get out of Gardo is spend two or three bucks on AL only and maybe get three or four bucks back. Yeah, you know? maybe, like, maybe get that, that 2014 <laughs> season that Norris had when he had a 365 ERA, a 122 whip. Well, that's the year I owned him. That's the year I owned him. 15 W. So, yeah, it, it – it's just not a great move. We got to move on. Uh, there yeah, was another. I'm talking about you. <laughs> there was another move of some import, but we will get to it in the emails. So uh, stay stay tuned for that. Let's jump into your your starting pitcher ranks. You posted them on the site, and you did an interesting thing that I want you to kind of explain why you did it and and kind of what the upshot of it is compared to what. Uh, the quote unquote normal thing would have been to do because you wanted to compare it against the consensus rankings that we put up. And so you used uh, a percentage difference column. So explain that before we dive into some of the guys that you're higher and lower on compared to the rest of the group. Well, I just didn't want to put like a, a raw number where it was like my ranking minus another ranking, because then for example, Zach Greinke, I got, I put a seven on him, Rotographs put a 12 on him. There'd be a five difference and he would be way down the list of guys that was, that I was different on. Whereas like a guy like Zach Davies, who I put 135 and Rotographs put 177, would be like my number one sleeper, which is not at all the case. So, uh, you know, basically what I did was just take um, the Rotographs ranking and divide it by my ranking. 
so that if a, a higher one would be higher, you know, just, uh, and it would be, and it would be sort of relative. It would be somewhat relative to the the entire. And I think, honestly, I think it's one of the better ways I've done this because when you sort for it descending, so that you know the the highest number goes first. You get Granky, which I was sort of surprised, but I, I knew it as it was sort of happening. Smiley, which we'll talk about a little bit. But then you just get a list of my guys, who you guys have been listening all along. You know my guys. Chris Bassett, Brandon Finnegan, Nicholas Tropiano, Chase Anderson, Drew Pomerantz, Adam Conley, Henry Owens, Michael Waka, Stephen Matz, Jared Eikhoff, Danny Salazar. I mean, it's just, it's all my guys. And so, you know, when I saw that, I was like, oh, yeah, there they are again. Those are my guys. Well, and and uh, I think it, it can help you kind of just really quickly see the guys I'm higher on. And it was a good way to, to figure out that the di differential percentage worked. Uh, using that method, I think, was a good idea. And that did highlight some, uh, again, some likes and maybe dislikes. We're going to do a couple from, from four different groupings. Guys that you're higher on in the top 100, guys that you're higher on outside the top 100, and then guys that you're lower on in each of those groups as well. And you mentioned the first guy. This happens to be the guy with the biggest difference pro uh, pro Eno, and that, that is Zach Greinke. He got a 171 in that uh, diff percentage column. By the way, I want to mention something very quickly. On the show notes, folks, because sometimes you guys ask, uh, you know, hey, where, where do I get those rankings you guys were talking about? In the show notes, whether you're in on your phone, in your, in your pod app, or on the website, if you click on whatever that heading is, for this, for this one it's going to say Eno starting pitcher ranks. That'll take you right there. Th those are links. So they're right in there. If you don't have them bookmarked on the uh, fangrafts.com slash fantasy website, just, just a heads up for that. Now, top 100 guys, biggest difference uh, is Zach Greinke. You mentioned it earlier. Seven for you, 12 for the, uh, for the, for the Rotographs group, giving a 171 for that diff percentage. You're, you're a bit higher on him. I think, I think this expands out beyond RG as well, though, to the to the industry at large, where I think a lot of folks are kind of being a little bit more cautious with Granky. They're worried, you know, I'm hearing worries about the park. Uh, I hear worries about the strikeout percentage because, you know, it's not a, it's not in the upper, upper elite the way the rest of his numbers were. And of course, he just had a historical season with the 87 percent left on base rate, 229 Babbitt. What do you think about Zach Greinke as a 32-year-old going to Arizona that has you still very interested in him as a top 10 pitcher? Well, one thing I would disagree with is about the about the eliteness of his swing strike and the strikeouts because his excellent command makes he's one of those guys where you should look at strikeout percentage versus K9. Agreed. Because if you look at K9, you see an 8 K9, you think, well, that's not very good. But if you look at strikeout percentage and swinging strike rate, it's a different story. So by swinging strike rate, number 13 in the big leagues ahead of David Price. So and ahead of Danny Salazar, Matt Harvey, you know, Jake Arrieta. So he gets the swing strikes. That's number one. Now, now let's look at, at strikeout percentage, which which is a little bit superior in general to, to K-9. Um, and uh, look at strikeout percentage. And Granke was you know, uh, 22nd. Now, would you call that elite? I don't know. Maybe not. But with K minus BB, uh, he's a little bit higher um, because he has that excellent start. So he's 14 there. And those are those are great numbers right there. 
so so far we've got him to maybe where the industry consensus is, which is like 10, 11, 12, right? Mm-hmm. But, and here's where I'm going to get weird. <laughs> this is going to be weird. He's had a sub-3 ERA for three years in a row. Pretty filthy. He's not leaving the division of the league. And he's the smartest pitcher I've ever talked to. So I think, and he's talked about pitching to FIP and how that was a bad idea and how he's had all these different strategies and he's he's figured out different things as he's gone along. You know, a guy who's 32, maybe you'd have an injury risk thing, but the only injury that he's really had is the, the clavicle thing. And Stupid Carlos Quinn. That's you know that's on Quentin. That's not. On by the way, let me, so, let me let me briefly jump in and and uh, actually strengthen your argument. By the way, you mentioned swinging strike rate. I think you said something about him being twenty second. I don't know what the innings qualifier is for that, but among the qualified starters, so one hundred sixty two or more innings, he's actually at thirteenth. Uh, again, uh, you know, ahead of Price, Salazar, Harvey, Garrett. Richards. No, strikeout rate was strikeout rate was like twentieth or something. Oh, okay, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah swing, strike, swing rate, strike rate. That's so that's pretty great. So that's. I mean that's a he can go he I mean he's 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 have the he had seasons where he had like you know lead the league type he struck out 28% of the batters he saw in 2011 that was the year that he kind of tried to pitch to FIP as he said and just strike everybody out and not walk anybody and and he just basically said he was in the zone too much so you know as we get to understand soft contact better and as you know because we don't really understand that quite enough yet and as we get to understand you know, stuff inside and outside the zone better. Like he told me about command. He said, he said, I used to try and throw everything in the zone, but they would mash balls because especially if I was behind, they would know it's coming in the zone. Exactly. So now basically every other time that I'm behind, I'll throw a ball anyway. And they're more likely to swing because they think a strike is coming. Yeah. And so then I'm going to get, and, and the best thing in baseball is the swing on the pitch outside the zone. I mean, just everything. There's a good piece by Mike Petriello recently where he just, just looked at exit velocity, batting average, slugging percentage, all that stuff inside the zone and outside the zone. And it's just, it's it's amazing. I mean, it's like, you know, night and day. You got to pound the zone to get ahead. But really, the only reason you're trying to get ahead is so that you get them to swing at something outside the zone. And I think Greinke's really figured something out there. And I'm just not willing to go all the way to a 304 ERA when he hasn't done that in three years, and he seems like he's in his prime right now. So and that, that, that's where the uh, that's where Steamer has Grinky. Right. So I'm just I'm not crazy. I'm more just a little. I'm, no, I'm, you're really I'm not. On the side where it's like the two eight nine one oh seven, and in terms of guys that you know you could pick over him. Well, Steven Strasburg is a walking injury. Jose Fernandez probably has an innings limit. Matt Harvey, you know, the command wasn't a hundred percent. And, you know, if there was a guy that could maybe have a second Tommy, I don't know, Matt Harvey, something about him. DeGrom, uh, you know, had a, a Tommy John already, has some regression risk. Uh, Corey Kluber, we'll talk about in a second. So that's basically, we just covered all the guys that I chose him over. Now, maybe the hardest was DeGrom, even though that, you know, he's, he's he, I basically think that's a pick em group and that, you know, my first, I put the one through 17 in a tier. So I don't – in the, the the easiest answer for me is I don't give a F. <laughs> you know I mean? It's like you wait on all those guys. Wait yeah, because, because guys. It, it, it is thick. Later, then you win. It is a thick tier. Now, one of the reasons – because I was the low guy on him at 16, and it's not that I don't like Granky. 
one of my factors that, that we haven't talked about, and you let me know how you feel about it, is that first year in a big contract. I think the numbers kind of show that's not the best year to really invest in a player, whether it's a hitter or a pitcher. And so, you know, going to the new team with the big deal, I'm just I, – I don't really want to pay for it, especially on the, on the heels. Obviously – guys who get the big deal are usually trending up because they, they hit free agency. They got a big deal, but he's also on the, the really high end of, of an amazing season with that 166 DRA and 0.84 whip for Granky. So I don't know. I just feel like the, maybe that's, maybe that's crazy though, because even regression back to 2014, which was a uh, 311 BABIP and an 80% left on base rate. He still had a 271 ERA and a 115 whip. But how do you feel about guys with big deals uh, in that first year? Are, are, do you give it any sort of consideration? That one was I didn't. I haven't actually seen that research, so I'll have to read up on that. I didn't. I didn't think that was such a big deal. I was worried more, a little bit more about the framing situation. Wellington Castillo is not known for his framing in the same way that Yasmani Grandal is. And oh, no. Oh, no. To, to some extent, Zach Ranky does rely on stealing strikes. I mean, if you look at Last year's walk rate, it was the best of his career. And that probably had a lot to do with what was going on. But, I mean, if anybody has pinpoint, pinpoint, if anybody has great command in baseball, it's Zach Greinke. I will agree with and, that. And so, you know, maybe the walk rate will go up. Maybe I'll be wrong. But I think in general, I just didn't, I wasn't as concerned there. I just liked the little bit less injury risk. I just didn't think there was that much regression risk past, like, you know, a high twos ERA. And, uh, and I just saw more risk in other players. But really, I'm pretty good with maybe the top somewhere between 16 and 18. You know, when I, Chris Archer, Carlos Carrasco, Garrett Cole, that top 15 feels fine to me. And if I was, like, in an NFBC 15-team league, I would just want to get one of those and I'd probably get him, you know, I'd probably get an ace in like the third round and it'd probably be like Garrett Cole or Chris Archer or Carlos Carrasco, I feel like, you know? Absolutely. Uh, but if I was wrong and someone took two pitchers in the first three rounds and I ended up with Noah Syndergaard, Felix Hernandez, or Danny Salazar, I wouldn't feel that bad and I would just try to maybe supplement it with a high number two and and try to maybe go back into the into the the bin for you know i yeah. don't know a hamels a hamels or a hit the uh, pool quicker uh, yeah offset offset the the risk of of you know being young and, and not having done a ton yet of salazar or syndergaard with somebody like you're saying like a hamels or a wainwright somebody who is a little bit more of a higher floor sunny gray yeah. uh, and maybe that lower ceiling okay i listen i there's food for thought there. We do not see eye to eye on Grinky right now. I think you'll be drafting drafting him before I do, but um, it's tough to push back on too much of that because you look at the two years before this season, and yeah, what what's he even regressing to? You know, he's regressing to something that's still pretty great. So I, I do fully understand that, and maybe I'll reassess. That was the first run, but for now, I'm sticking where I am. 16 against year seven. That's a big dispute for us uh, in terms of Grinky. And again, 12 for the consensus rankings of RG. Let's move on to the next guy a little bit further down, uh, Jared Eikhoff. And, and he makes your top 100. That's why he fits. Wait, wait, we've got a top guy to talk about, no? Oh, do we, are we not going to talk about Corey Kluber? Oh, well, we can. yeah, we can talk about – no, no. Kluber, Kluber is – you're lower on Kluber. 
He's, oh, check, so we're talking about guys on higher. Check on. the rundown. Okay. Check the rundown. Ah, yeah, sorry, my bad. <laughs> we're moving. <laughs> we're moving on to Ikoff next. Jared Ikoff. Um, obviously, we're in the top 100 for guys that you're higher on. He didn't make. Uh, the Rotographs consensus top 100, but he made yours, and that was the qualification. So he's 79th on your list compared to 105 for the group. He had some impressive work. He came over in that Hamels deal to Philly, put together a nice finish to the season. thing that had me a little bit concerned on him was it was basically historical level work against right-handers. I mean, he was on par with Granke but Grinky was doing it over a full season, whereas Ikoff was doing it for 51 innings. And he was really poor against lefties. And so I think over the course of a full season, I'm nervous that uh, he cannot maintain that rate against righties and that he's still going to struggle with lefties. So that's why I was a little bit cautious on Ikoff. But the price isn't that high, so I don't think you're going to have to go crazy. Even the 79 price that you have for him you know, certainly wouldn't be the end of the world. I have Kyle Gibson there. You know, I, I'm not making massive distinctions between those two, but you're definitely higher than the group. And if you'd been in our consensus rankings, you still, uh, you'd have been just under the high man, which is Zach Sanders at 78. So what do you like about Ikoff going into his first full season with the Phillies? Yeah, I, I hear you. I mean, I definitely don't think he's going to do what he did last year, but you know, it's really nice to see that 10.4% swing strike rate. That's really nice. The strikeout rate is great. And, there was definitely a, a sort of per pitch thing going on for me, but also I just think he's a really good in the, in the 70s. I think that's a really good spot to get a guy like him because it's just going to be the 70s are like my favorite place to go shopping because you know if you can get two or three guys there, and I in my 70s and my rankings, I don't really bother with the, the filler types, you know, the crusty uh, vets who aren't going to give you anything. More than yeah, kind of what like, they do, like are you talking like Jake Peavy, like you would prefer yeah, like Andrew Peavy Heaney. Not, yeah, Jake Peavy is not going to be in my um, in, in my in my top seventy, even though he might turn in a, a top seventy type season later. But you know, just to talk about the guys in my seventies, Eovaldi, Ryu, uh, Andrew Haney, John Lamb, Nate Carnes, Ikoff, Nelson. You know, guys that have established roles who've shown us something to be excited about, but have the upside to be a two, three, four instead of just buying a five. You sure, know, absolutely. I so, get um, you know, so that's 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 a good place for me to shop. I like you know the late '60s too. I've got Aaron Nola there, Joe Ross. You know, the, those are the kind of guys I really like in the in the '60s and '70s. So Ikoff to me represents like a, a really good last pitcher because. You know, if he manages to to repeat a lot of what he did, that's great. And then, you know, just on the per pitch level, he had the the let's see here, one, two, three. He had the fourth best slider in baseball uh, wow. among starters that's by whiff nice. rate. That's pretty nice. For so he threw, he threw 118 of them and got whiffs on 29 of them. So. It's not like he just threw 50 of them and had a couple whiffs. It's, you know, he threw 118 of them and got 29. 25% swing strike rate. You know, follows right behind Kershaw is one of the best. He's at 25.6. Joe Ross, 25.8. Carlos Carrasco, 26.7. So, you know, with that, and then you, you go to the curveball. Uh, the curve is dirty. If you guys go to Eikhoff's player page and look under the articles, uh, I wrote one on. 
October 2nd, Jared Eikhoff closes strong for the Phillies. And I got some some gifts in there of the nasty curve striking out uh, Harper and Michael Taylor. And it's filthy. It is a filthy pitch. He's got two legitimate breakers, and that's going to serve him well, especially trying to break that platoon split issue that Eikhoff has. And so there, there is definitely some upside. Now, I think he raised what his ceiling can be. I think, you know, after the trade, they're thinking, okay, he, this guy's probably going to be a 4-5 type. I think there's actually a path to becoming a number three starter now for Eikhoff. Yeah, so that's exactly what I'm talking about. So uh, in the curve by whiff rate, um, trails Carrasco, Jose Fernandez, Bauer McCullers. It's 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. 12, 13. So basically top 15. So the curve is top 15 by swing strike rate. The, um, the, the sliders is top five. And that's enough for me. I know that the, the, the fastball velocity isn't great. At, at 90, 91, he's, he's a little bit below average for a righty. But the command looks pretty good. Really good walk numbers. And, you know, when you're watching him, it looks pretty decent. And, uh, you know, pairing him with, like, Aaron Nola – the two guys are very similar in that they have they don't have the biggest velocity, but they can reach back and get some. They have really good command. They have really good breakers. And you know, while Nola's changeup I think is better, and that's why I have Nola higher. The um, the the changeup for Ikoff, if he pairs it with his rising four seamer, which he throws a lot more than a sinker, is good. It's got three and a half more inches of of fade. It's got three inches more drop, and it's, you know, seven miles an hour slower. So, you know, it got 13, 13.5% whiffs, which is basically average. So I think it can be an average pitch. Now, that you know, average changeup, average fastball, elite slider, above average curveball. It, it isn't an ace package. It's not like we're finding the next Carlos Carrasco here. No, when, we, when we were looking at Carlos Carrasco by, through this lens before he became Carlos Carrasco, we were like, holy crap. He's got plus velocity, plus strikeouts. He's like elite in whiff rates on all of his pitches. This guy's going to put it together. Eikhoff's more, uh, I, I don't know if I, if I have an easy comp, but just a, a guy who's going to be a little bit better than people thought like, and, and has is going to be above average, is going to be a decent guy. I think could be a fantasy 2-3. Yeah, I, I, listen. I, I can understand that. Again, I think that I think that he raised his ceiling with what we saw. The breaking pitches for Eikhoff were impressive. Um, I don't have him quite as high as you do, but I understand it. And I talk about this a lot, particularly last year, and I think the same goes for this year. Once you start getting past, like maybe even the you know the top 40, top 45, there are some large clusters. Even to the point, like I said, that even though I have Eikhoff all the way down at 106. And then someone like Kyle Gibson at 79, there just isn't a lot of difference between you know the the guys at the top and bottom of that of that grouping there. There just isn't. You know, you got Vincent Velasquez, Jesse Hahn, Adam Connolly, a lot of those guys you mentioned earlier, Ruby, Descalfani, Bauer, Hap. You know, a lot of guys in there that there there's not a whole lot of difference. So don't get too hung up on the numbers. That's why I wanted to talk about some of these guys who are a little bit lower. And now let's yeah, I, I saw just to a, a quick talk about tears. But we talked about the first tier that I see that ends around 16-17 with Syndergaard and Hernandez. There's a bit of a soft spot, I think, in the rankings, which is populated by a little bit boring veterans uh, that maybe don't have better years in front of them. The Keiko, Gray, Waka. Uh, Waka is interesting. He might have some more better, but Wainwright, Hamels, Ross. 
I, I might take one of those, like what I said about team construction. If I get a later first uh, first ace, then I might take one of those veterans. But I might also just take a right-hand turn and do, go hitter for that. And then, you know, come back in for the third tier, which is I see as exciting young veteran, exciting young established pitchers with a lot of excitement, which is around 30 to about 45, which is that's the Rysel Iglesias, Carlos Martinez, Lance McCullers, Stephen Matz, Luis Severino, Carlos Rodon tier, which is just like, yes, give me, give me, give me. You know, that's Mm -hmm. that's the guys who have shown enough to be an ace and you're buying as a three. So what I would try to do, I mean, you can get a guy in every tier. That's fine. And, and maybe I'll do that. But th- those are the three tiers that jump out to 17 uh, to about, you know, 30, 35, and then from 35 to 50. And then after 50, I don't know, man. It's just a, a, lot of preference. It's it's just, a grab bag, dude. It's, it's just, just a lot of I'll preference. be getting Discofani and Eduardo Eduard Rodriguez and maybe, you know, uh, a Gaussman and, and Nola. Those are the guys I like. But I can't hate on you for going Gio Gonzalez or Kenta Maida, uh, Julio Terran, and, and getting some bounce back from veterans in that group. Uh, I just don't think that that group. I think that you can kind of put fifty to seventy, you know, put fifty to seventy-five in a bag and, and shake it and see what falls out. So those are my general tiers uh, that I think people need to hit their their one, two, three, and four starters basically, and get a couple out of that last tier, of course, but. Because I'm a quantity guy, but anyway, that's I just wanted to throw that in about tears. No, I like that, and I think that I think that it matters a lot again because people will get hung up on the number and they'll see something even as big as 25, 30 ranks apart, and they're like, "Oh, you much higher on this guy," and it's like actually when you really break it down, I'm not because you have to you just have to put the number besides everybody. But you know, you have Andrew Heaney at 75 and Nicholas Tropiano at 100, and I don't know that you know, there's certainly not what what 25 ranks would normally insinuate between them. There just isn't. But you've got to put the names out there, and there's just so many names. On, it's also not on stuff, and it's basically more about just role right there because yes. Tropiano's probably the sixth looking in. He's sixth looking into a bunch of old guys, so I think he's gonna you know play this year and and and, and be in the major leagues. But you know there's a risk that he's not. Vincent Velasquez is right there at 100 by stuff alone. I would put him above Eikhoff. Oh, I would put him above Lamb, and he'd be in the in the 60s, basically. I mean, by stuff, I put Vincent Velasquez up there with the with the Joe Rosh, Andrew Kashner, Nathan Eovaldi group, which is the late 60s for me. But Roll, I mean, it, they just have too much to gain by throwing him down in the minor leagues. They don't necessarily. They, they probably need to stretch him out a little bit. That's the thing. He doesn't you know. have a ton of innings anyway. So even if they started him at the beginning of the season in the rotation, then Velasquez wouldn't make it to the finish line. So it's almost better if he kind of uh, messes around in AAA or in the bullpen for a little while, and then you can kind of get him for a strong finish next year. I agree with you there. Let's jump out of, out of your top 100. Stick stick with a couple guys that you're still higher on. Interestingly enough, you ranked this next guy the exact same rank that I did. We both gave Brandon Finnegan the 104th spot. Compare that though to just 155 for the uh, for the Rotographs group at large and. We, we, we stick out. Our, our 104s stick out like a sore thumb. Everybody else has 150 or later. This is a big piece in the Johnny Cueto deal, former Kansas City uh, Royals farmhand. Only got four starts last year and 16 relief appearances, but kind of a you know big arm type who can get the strikeouts from the left side. Some folks still think it's going to be a reliever in the end. I don't know. I guess you and I don't. What do you think about Brandon Finnegan going into his age 23 season for Cincinnati? 
I think he has the tools already to succeed in terms of, you know, he has a changeup that goes eight miles an hour slower than his, than his uh, sinker and gets, uh, it doesn't get more fade, which is not great, but it gets about three inches more drop. So it's a different pitch. It won't, it won't look like a lot like a sinker. And I think the more he throws it, you know, the better it'll be. It's not great for his development that the Royals, you know, put him in the, in the bullpen right away. And, you know, but, you know, still through 77 and got 20% whiff. So there's a, so far has performed pretty well, given up some homers. And that's why he was sinker slider coming out the bullpen because those are his great pitches. Uh, and, but it's really nice to start with great velocity from the left side. I mean, that's 93 miles an hour. If you like Robbie Ray, then you should like Brandon Finnegan because Brandon Finnegan's movement numbers on the changeup are better. He's had the velocity for longer. And the slider, I, you know, I don't think that necessarily one is, is better than the other. So, um, you know, I, I'll take Finnegan. On top of that, we now know that Jake Lamb or John Lamb, sorry, John Lamb is dealing with a, a – I didn't even know he had back surgery. But Me neither. I don't know if it's back surgery, but he, has, he had a back oh, problem. It, it, there was a surgery done from what I read this Jesus. morning. I mean, what – I what, didn't know what, either. I, th- I It might have been one of those things that just kind of went underreported because – I, I don't know why. I can't even come up with an excuse. He required disc surgery on his back in December. It just At came least, out. It's not something that I don't think yeah. we missed it. It was not available. Right. So that's a little weird. And now it's like a mid-April thing. That that opens it up because Michael Lorenzen, I think, even though there's some things that are interesting about Lorenzen, I think he's a bullpen guy. He was a closer Close. in college. Yeah. Yeah. And Homer Bailey, not going to be ready right away. Nope. Uh, Kavia Sampson is just terrible, and I don't even know who John Moscott is. He, he was so, one of those guys that came up last year and just kind of filled in. They had like 42 rookie pitchers. Yeah, so, you know, it's it's wide open. The team wants to see what Finnegan can do, you know, and they they got – they had their hands on him so they could they could work on him, stretching him out a little bit. He doesn't have a ton of innings last year. You know, all combined, something like, um, what is it, 78, maybe 100 innings last year. So you can only get like 150 innings out of them. That's why you, know, you can't really rank him in, those, in that 70 group where – that's where I I like him on in, in, in the 70 group with, with stuff because I think he's going to get the strikeouts. I think the change is going to be enough. Plus, I hear from Red's Fest that he's working on a curve, and he thinks that slider curve is going to be good enough. But you know, I think the change is interesting. Um, you know, not great command, but uh, I think good enough and, and, and sizzling stuff. So, you know, if you like Robbie Ray, you should like Finnegan better is, is, is my uh, my slogan for his campaign. I think that's a perfectly fair assessment. Again, I agree with you. We're in lockstep at 104. Next guy is somebody I was pretty high on last year. It didn't really work out. He actually ended up kind of going to the bullpen. Ha- had a decent year, but I was expecting more as a starter. That's Drew Pomerantz, who's now – in San Diego, he was part of that Yonder Alonso deal. You've got him at 129. The consensus rankings only got him at 184. My guess is that uh, a lot of them, a lot of the rankers probably don't feel that he's necessarily going to be uh, somebody who um, starts all year. So that, that, that could be some of the hesitation with him. 
the highest anybody got him, which is an interesting ranking. I think we'd have to ask Dan Dan Schwartz what he was thinking. Yeah, he, he had him up at 78, but then just a lot of almost not even ranked kind of things. In fact, I didn't even rank him in my pictures yet because I just I don't know what we're getting yet. So I was a little bit nervous on on ranking him just yet. So I kind of took the uh, coward's way out on the early rankings and just said I'll wait till we figure out something during spring training. But you had him in there. What do you think of Drew Pomerantz? Is is he gonna Get back into the rotation? I would bet that this is based on Arsenal score type stuff because he likes Arsenal score and, and, and works has worked with me in the past on this where you give credit for whiffs and grounders uh, you know, by pitch type and you sort of sum it up because uh, Pomerantz has a great fastball. In, it's a it's a bit of a rising thing from a left-hander for that arm slot. It's definitely a good rising thing. It's 90, you know, 92, 93, which is plus velocity for a left-hander. And for his career, he's gotten 12.5% whiffs, which is really, really good for a fastball. So, you know, the fastball and the curve together have been enough to, to probably influence a, a type of Arsenal rating, which doesn't necessarily penalize him a ton for the change, which he doesn't throw, you know? So it's like, um, maybe we should penalize him more for not having that change because then he becomes a four-seam sinker curve guy. And, you know, that seems a little bit dicey to, to, to deal with. But on the other hand, you know, San Diego is the place, San Diego is a place that, you know, this has worked before and he's going to the National League. And I, you know, there is, I'm a little nervous about that one. So I don't want to spend too much time on him because I just, I don't want to. I, I don't want to stick time on him. It's just more like I think that either he's going to be in the mix for the closers role because he's really good out of the bullpen, and Fernando Rondi, Rodney is just a just a tire fire waiting to happen. And then, and, and I don't think Quackenbush is really the guy who's going to push him. So it's kind of like Brandon Maurer and Drew Pomerantz. One of those guys is going to be pushing Fernando Rodney in the bullpen, yep. and the other guy is going to be their fifth fourth, fifth starter. So between the two of those guys, I kind of like them in that they're going to fill one role and be kind of interesting. So that's that's my spiel on him. Maybe I pushed him a little bit aggressive. But like I said, I'm looking a little bit more for surplus value with those picks than I am necessarily for a guy who's just going to – like an R.A. Dickey type, it just doesn't – you'd have to be in a really deep AL only. And even that, you know, you're, you'd rather have a guy that you pay for a 4 ERA and get a 3-7 than – Pay for a four ERA and get a four ERA. You know what I mean? Or get a four four or four two. Right. You're not guaranteed to get it. No. Again, it's side of their peak. It's one twenty nine. So you're not even going crazy on him. It just stood out, and it was a guy I wanted to talk about because we got to kind of monitor him through spring training. I do like Drew Pomerantz. I also like Brandon Maurer, the guy you mentioned, who's currently slotted in the rotation. He used to have the highest spin rate on his curveball, and then he he put it away because the Mar- Mariners made him, and now he's bringing the curveball back. So, you know, he's going to have a, a three-four pitch mix, and you know, you know, out of the American League, who knows what happens. Also, I'm not I'm not sure that the Mariners are that great at developing pitchers. So, I, 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 that's a topic for another day, but I completely agree. <laughs> Let's get into the guys that you're lower on. You already hinted at one of them. Uh, thinking we were going to go in a little bit of a different order. Again, top 100, we got two guys outside the top 100. Let's start with Corey Kluber, who you mentioned. You've got him at 12. The rankings have him at 7, so it's kind of the inverse of the Grinky situation here. I lean toward the rankings because, uh, obviously, I'm part of them, but also with Kluber specifically, 
I had him at exactly seven. So where where are you with Kluber that has you pushing him outside the top ten? Yeah, it's it, it's uh, again sort of that pick'em group, but he did flip flop with Granky, and one of the reasons that I don't like him as much as Granky is that Kluber has doesn't have a good fastball. And we've and talked about Greinke that, has, and you've used him Greinke as the example. Fastball. Yeah. And, you know, you can watch. He used to never throw his four-seam because he threw away. The reason he broke out, the story of Corey Kluber, is he, his four-seam was terrible, yep. so then he started throwing the two-seam. So the last two years that have been better have been a lot more two-seam and, and cutter versus uh, n- and almost no four-seams. But then last year, he thought, I guess as a wrinkle, you know, he was going to start throwing the four-seam again to surprise people. So he actually threw the four-seam 20 to 30% of the time last year at different parts of, of, of the season. And then, you know, kind of came back to his old sinker usage and, and, and dropped the four-seam. But the reason that I don't like that is that he's fiddling around with uh, a, a pitch that with a fastball, which is a foundational pitch. And if you look at the way the sinker, which is supposed to be his great pitch, has performed, it's just not, it's not good. I mean, it, it doesn't, it's not a good pitch by whiffs. It's a you know four what is it a four a four percent whiff rate for 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 a sinker is below average. So then you're like okay well it must be great for grounders. Well, he's never actually had an average ground ball rate on his sinker. Okay, because so, I was going to ask about that. I was going to suggest that maybe he made that change last year because of the poor infield defense that they had until Lindor and Urshela got up. But if he doesn't even really get grounders with the sinker, that would probably lay waste to that particular theory well you know he when he surprises people with his four seam i think it's interesting because i don't think the four seam is inherently a good pitch Mm. but it you know last year got 11 percent whiffs which is really good for his four seam which is probably because he didn't use it very much and when people were thinking they're going to get a sinker he he surprised them up and in basically with the four seam right so i that is actually kind of a good thing i guess but just the way that he's sort of meddled along with those pitches you know, I asked him when I interviewed him, I said, did you ever, have you ever thought about, you know, making the cutter your, your, your fastball basically and pitching off of that? And he said, he said, no, he never thought about that. Um, actually, he said, that actually, he probably said, no, I didn't really think about that. Yeah. He's and what he really meant probably because he has that robot facade, what he really <laughs> meant probably was, no, dude, that is how I pitch. Dude, I can give you all the tips right now. Sorry. Right. So can't tell you that. Uh, you know, a guy with a bad fastball with really great other pitches. Um, that that's that's my mo in terms of you know down table in the seventies, man. Uh, Jared Eikhoff, I'm all over him. Right, bad fastball, great other pitches. Give me Jared Eikhoff. But when you're talking about ace, I want him to have everything. So I'd rather have Carlos Carrasco than Corey Kluber because Carlos Carrasco has the plus fastball. He has the plus other pitches, and he, he's going to get it going this year. He's going to have a better strikeout rate than Corey Kluber. I don't, you know, Corey Kluber have the better walk rate, but you know, I think Carlos Carrasco will have a lower home run rate. I think Carlos Carrasco is going to outperform Corey Kluber this year. You think my fastball is bad? Well, yours is shit. So take that. <laughs> that's that's Kluber talking to you in the clubhouse. Yeah, uh, listen. I love Corey Kluber. There's no, no mistaking that. 
I can hear your points. There is validity to it with the bad fastball piece. That was kind of our entree into the discussion of bad fastballs last year when we discussed it on the pod. I get it, but you're also wrong, and I hate you. So let's just move on <laughs> to Jake Odorizzi, another guy who you're hurting my heart by being down on. So again, I'm going to be a lot more open-minded on this one than I am Kluber, though, because I'm kind of new to the Odorizzi train. This one wouldn't be as hard to, to be moved off of if you, if you give me some compelling points. But uh, you've got him 50th. The group had him 34th, and I'm sure that's influenced by myself. Yeah, I got him up at 27. So I was the high guy. I like Mr. Odorizzi. I think we're we're looking toward a, a big season here. If he can take elements from the 2014 and the 2015 season and smash them together, it could be great. I grant that that's, that's some wishful thinking as well, but I think the elements are there for a 26-year-old Odorizzi to kind of have that breakout year. You've got him at 50, though, so you don't necessarily see it as, as rosily as I do. What, what's, what's your take on Odorizzi, then? So what I see is a two-pitch pitcher and a fastball splitter guy. Now, those are really good pitches, but we've seen and, – and there are other guys that could maybe just make those work. I mean, Kevin Gaussman comes to mind as a guy who has good velocity, good fastball, good splitter, you know, trying to make it work, trying to find that third thing. You know, Jake Odorizzi is doing the same thing at a lower velocity, but he's doing the same thing, trying to find that breaking pitch. He used to have a slider. He turfed it for a cutter this year. Guess what? He turfed the cutter, and he tried to go back to the slider. And by the end of the year, he was throwing in, in – let's see here. In September, he was throwing 87% of his pitches were fastballs or splitters. That's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot. I don't even know how that math works out, but yeah, I'm I'm looking at it right now. It says 87. So, uh, you know, I think that's a lot, and that it doesn't leave that doesn't you know. I generally say that sort of around 10% is when I believe a guy trusts the pitch. Mm -hmm. So that means that basically he didn't trust any of his other pitches. He trusted his four seam and splitter, good for good reason, but he didn't trust any of his other pitches, and that just makes him predictable. And you know, for all this talk about oh, he found this slutter. And, you know, the, the, the hybrid cutter slider thing that was going to change everything. You know, if you just look at his cutter rates versus his slider rate, the cutter got a tiny bit more whiffs, gave up uh, more fly balls, and uh, did not solve his, his home run problem because one of them gave up 0.95% homers and the other one gives up 1.01%. So, you know, he gets a little bit more pop-ups on the cutter. We'll see if that holds past 500 uh, 500 thrown, but that's not enough for me. It's not enough for me because he's not uh, solving the home run problem. And he's a guy who pitches in the trop, and he still gives up a homer per game, even with this new cutter, you know, replacing the slider and then giving up on the cutter. So I just think, I think he's going to stagnate. I think he's going to be about the same and maybe a little bit higher whip if the if the BABIP goes up to where it was before. So. Well, I don't see that thing where you're like, oh, yeah, that's how he's going to get a strikeout per inning, and he's going to get that home run rate down to like three-quarters of a home run per game and you know have that sort of 3-2 ERA breakout type season. But uh, I see him as being more of the same, and that sort of 3-5, 3-7 ERA group is pretty tight. There's a ton of guys who can give you a 3-5 ERA with you know eight, seven and a half strikeouts per, per, per nine. Certainly, certainly. Well, you know— the, the strikeout rate jumped back up in the second half for Odorizzi. I definitely like that. Of course, it was at the expense of his uh, overall performance. The ratios went down. So, again, he, 
he's showing the elements, and I guess I'm kind of banking on him to kind of put the pieces together uh, that that fit properly, take the good that he's had in these past two seasons, and, and mix it together for something more. So, you know. I hear you on that, but I don't agree. I'm sticking with Odorizzi. I still think there's there, there's a lot to like here. I love that uh, I love that splitter, and I love the fact that he he can bust that platoon issue. He doesn't have any issues with with lefties. Of course, there's gonna be more righties, so you got to make sure you can handle those. I, I'm willing to bet on Odorizzi though. Maybe, maybe not as high as I had him. Maybe I'll bump him down a little bit based on your your valid concerns, but I would still keep him. The lowest I could see pushing him down is is. 35 area, you know, maybe six or seven rankings. But for now, I'm sticking tight at 27. So how's that? I'm digging my heels in. We'll see who comes out on top between Odorizzi. Hey, two-plus pitch is a good place to start. Give him a third try at it. Maybe he goes back to the slider and trusts it more. Well, let's maybe he let's stay healthy, right too. we got to stay healthy. And that's, that's a concern that uh, I thought you might bring up as well. Um, he didn't have an injury in 14. But he did have the oblique last year, and and obliques can be can be a total punk. They they can be a big pain in the butt, and so maybe maybe it was affecting him when he returned because he did have a 4.34 ERA the rest of the way uh, after he returned from the the oblique. So Odorizzi, I'm sticking tight on him. But uh, again, you did raise some valid concerns. Let's jump outside the top 100. We got two more guys, Jay Happ. 124 for you, 82 for the group. Again, we're outside the top 100 because he's outside your top 100. We know what he did in Pittsburgh last year, and it was fantastic. And it would have been amazing if he'd stayed there. I'm sure you would have had him up near 82. Maybe everyone probably would have had him higher if he stayed in Pittsburgh, let's be honest. But instead, he moves back to Toronto. It wasn't particularly good in Toronto. Can he take some of the Ray Searage magic with him to, uh, to, to back to Toronto? Or first off, uh, even if you say yes, I'm sure you don't think it's too much because you had him at 124. But why don't you think that he can necessarily uh, emulate a good deal of what we saw during those magic 20, uh, 63 innings with the Pirates? There's a long track record of mediocrity with this guy. He's not and, young. Yeah, and the thing that he did in Pittsburgh is interesting. I like it in theory. So he basically threw the pitches that were good more and the pitches that were bad less. So that that's that's a good idea. I think for the most part, I've espoused it with other guys. You should stop throwing that sinker, that sort of stuff. But with this, uh, it meant that by the end of the season, he was a four-seam cutter guy. You know, let's go through that that same thing and look at his his September his September rates. 67% four-seam, 13% cutter. So again, we have that 80% in two pitches thing and no other pitch above 10%. So, you know, as a batter, you can you can hone in on that four-seam and that cutter and you don't really have to worry about anything else. And, um, you know, I just think that that's... That he, it was good for him because he was playing to his strengths. That's good. And it was different. So if there was a book on Jay Happ, you know, there was, was going to be – yeah, he changed. So change is, is interesting. But, uh, you know, in terms of, like, finding a new pitch or, you know, trusting a, a secondary pitch much more, throwing the curveball 30% of the time, some of that stuff I'd, I'd believe in more because it would give him this other weapon. I would say, you know, he's got three legit weapons now. He's got four legit weapons now. I'm looking at a guy who has two legit weapons, and one's a four seams, one's a cutter. You know, the the other stuff, it's like I don't even know. Maybe he just let me look at the percent pitch usage real quick because 
he must be just throwing them in uh, in two strike counts. You know, uh, uh, with, with, the, with the change in curve you're talking about. Yeah, because he's not even throwing any of them 10% of the time. So yeah, let me see. In September, when he was uh, when he was at his his most uh, Pittsburghian, um, <laughs> he was so good for them during that time. So two strikes, he threw the curve 20% of the time. So that's uh, that's 33 of the curves basically. Okay. He threw 44 curves. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's no, like, there's not a lot of mix with, with what Hap was doing. Like you said, he got away from what wasn't working and stuck with the stuff that was working. But if you get, you're get you going back into the AL beast, yeah, you don't have to face that Toronto lineup. Thankfully, you, you get it supporting you so we could get some cheap Ws. But in terms of the ERA and ratio, your your initial point was probably the, the right one. We could have just said that and moved on because yeah, it might yeah. be a little bit generic or, or some might say, oh, that's too easy. But it's also the truth. He has a track record. Uh, of several years, what, six, seven years of just not being that good. And then he had a, an amazing run, a 63-inning run with a, a, a team, you know, that can kind of accentuate what he does well. They have a great park. They have the great defense. Everything was in play, and it was a great 11-start run, but it was, you know, arguably the best 11-start run that we've ever seen out of J-Hap. So I totally get that. Seen in some, he – the the reason and seen in some last year the reason last year is one of his best was because he he cut down on the home run rate well uh, he was in some nice parks for that and he's not going to be any and, longer so. and it was only with Pittsburgh that that really love, pushed it down because as with Seattle he was at one point one homers per nine in his uh, yeah. twenty one starts with them and look at and look at this I love it when the fans are worse on a pitcher than, than it's so rare. <laughs> I'll I'll take the fans 4.08 ERA. I think it could even be higher. I mean, last time it was with the Blue Jays, 4.22 ERA, 4.56 ERA, 4.79 ERA. Come on. Yeah, his career with the Jays is 4.39. I think we're I think we're good on Hap. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's yeah. clear. I get it, and I I agree with it. Next guy, easy for for me. I love that you're down on him because. I don't understand why anybody's really that high on Josh Tomlin. You got him 140th. The group had him 104. Let me see where I got him. Probably like 462. Yeah, 203. Um, and everyone except for Zach. Oh, no, Mike. Everyone except for Mike had him with just a double-digit rating. 98, 82, 86, 89, 91 for Josh Tomlin. I don't get it. The dude is still a homer machine. He was lucky as can be last year. And again, we're talking 65 innings for his whole season. So he basically had, you know, that same kind of run that, that Hap had, except that that was his, his season. So that's the bottom line for 2015 for Tomlin. And I think it's getting folks a little bit overly excited. He's always been able to not walk guys. He, he does that. Last two years, the strikeout rate has been up and passable, 21, 23%. But you can't. This is a good case where you can't just get focused on the strikeouts and walks because that home run rate is pathetic. It's 1.5, and he even allowed the homers last year. They just didn't kill him because he didn't put any anybody on base with a 199 BABIP and a 90% left on base rate. Again, I don't need too many reasons why you don't like Tomlin, but if you want to highlight exactly why you're down on him, uh, and then we can move on to a couple emails. I mean, his career home run rate is 1.46 that would be the second worst in baseball since he he was since he was in baseball that would be the second worst right behind luminary ian kennedy no that's that's uh no 
that's not over the same time frame. That was last year. surprise, though. If it was, yeah, kind of... no, no, uh, no, it's much worse than that. Hector Noesi. Oh, sweet. And sweet. guess what? Josh Tomlin shares with someone. This is actually really important. Josh Tomlin shares the home run record, uh, his home run rate with Joe Blanton, Man. who, because I've seen the defense of Josh Tomlin, it's basically based on strikeouts minus yep. walks, which is it's great. And yes, Tomlin does the, do that well, except that he doesn't do it on the strikeout side so much as on the walk side. Exactly. And I would rather have a guy with a 30%. So, you know, strikeouts minus walks could be perfected, I think, a little bit by weighting the strikeouts a little bit more. And, and so, but and I think Blanton's a perfect comp where he had great small little walk rate, mm -hmm. okay strikeout rate, all of the homers, Ever. ate them all up and got fat. And, you know, I think that... Uh, you know, there's something to that. He's in the zone too much. He can't get out of the zone. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe it's a, a sequencing thing or maybe his stuff, you know, he, he's always, he's been a lot better in the pen where he's fastball slider. So maybe, you know, Tomlin's stuff is, is, is not exciting in, in a similar way. So I, I, I think uh, to anyone that's, that's super excited about Josh Tomlin, I'll say uh, Joe Blanton. And, and, and then and good luck. Joe Blanton, and good, luck. good luck. No, that's a and perfect that's the, co comparison, though. And I fell for Blanton in the past. I'm not going to do it again. I'm not going to fall for skinny Blanton. That's all That's all you are, Josh Tomlin. You're skinny Blanton, okay? From now on, he's skinny Blanton. Let's move on to some emails. I guess he's the fifth starter and maybe an ale only, and uh, he's no. a decent park. Don't and do it. The projection, 3.75, whatever. I'm going to walk back, just say he's not useless in all leagues. But – Cody Anderson, you know, could find his strikeouts again. TJ House could have an elite ground ball rate again. Yeah, um, injury was the big issue with House last year. Was, you know, somebody I was I was recommending, and it, and it busted. But he also, like, missed, you know, most of the season with injury. So he could come back. And plus, Tomlin's 31. It's not like he's some on-the-rise guy. I, I hear you in that maybe there could be some usage in AL, except for the fact that when you have a home run rate like that, the, the blow-up potential is so high. Oh, it doesn't take much yeah. to get you a 470 ERA, you know, all of a sudden. And that's what he had in 104 innings in, in 2014. So, okay, already too much time on Tomlin. See you later, Skinny Blanton. We got two emails, and then we're going to bounce. First one's from Michael. He's talking about team stacking and head-to-head. -head. He's like, I did a mock draft. And I ended up uh, without trying to get uh, without trying to do it. I ended up getting Kershaw, Adrian Gonzalez, Corey Seager, and Yasiel Puig. Would you shy away from too many players from one team? It's a weekly head-to-head -head, um, and not roto. What do you think of this? You know, this is you know, kind of like stacking uh, that we talk about in in the DFS landscape. Except you're doing it for the whole season. Does the head-to-head -head factor make you change your, your opinion at all? Where do you stand on getting multiple guys? At least he got, what, the four best on the team? That's, that's, I think it, it, with his specific situation, I'm not that worried because I, you know, we like Yasiel Puig. Mm -hmm. We like Corey Seager. You know, Adrian Gonzalez is, is, is getting older, but he's managing to get the most out of his skills as he's gotten older, and Clayton Kershaw's number one pitcher. So I, don't, I wouldn't worry about that at all. Maybe on the fringes, like I wouldn't pick up Justin Turner – as your utility infielder, you know, yeah. or as your third baseman, I might, you know, as we got, as you got further away, maybe Grandal wouldn't be a great catcher for this team. Don't because get, then, don't get Peterson with this. Yeah, because then you, I mean, if you had, if you had four guys in your lineup and then you ran through a buzzsaw, just you know, maybe let's say the Giants, let's say the Giants, let's say Cueto and Samarja hit hit right, and then maybe Kane's even good. And for some reason, it doesn't seem like it right now, but let's say that 
Giants make the pitching staff a strength again, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, or they go into San Diego when it's just wet and nasty and cold like it often is in San Diego. Absolutely. And then, you know, it's all these one, you know, two to one games. Then all of a sudden you're like, God, I wish I didn't have all these guys. So, uh, you know, three stars I'm okay with, four pushing it. And then if you start getting fringier, I'd want to have at least the flexibility, if I had Turner on that team, to just put him on the bench, have another third baseman, you know? So, yeah, don't, it don't, is, don't get in a case where you pick. have to rely on him. And for pitching, I I don't care at all. I guess you could get, you could end up in Colorado, but you're only going to end up in Colorado one or two weeks. Yeah. And a guy, you know, especially on the top end, Kershaw, a pitching staff is much more fungible too. Like you could just sit a guy, you know, you can just sit, you yeah, know, if you were that nervous, something, you know, you know but uh, you're not going to sit, Yasiel Puig, or you're not going to sit Adrian Gonzalez in San Diego uh, because you have too many Dodgers. So, yeah, I would think it's something that I would think about a little bit more in the later rounds. Oh, I already have two or three guys. I don't want to take this later sort of fringy guy, um, you know, and put him on the same team. But on the pitching staff, I don't really think about it too much. I think you want to you want to think about their home park. So a little bit more, you know. Yeah, I would I would definitely agree on that. And there are some staffs where you'd have no problem getting a couple guys, maybe even three guys, if you're getting um, Indians or, or Mets. Let's move on to Jim's email. He's emailing about Matt Latos, who I kind of uh, alluded to earlier. He says, "Hey, Lo, uh, Matt Latos is such a douche, but comes so cheaply." I like the move for what should be an interesting White Sox clubhouse. Eno must be pumped to chat up Lowry and Latos with them uh, in Oakland. I'm sure those two will be inseparable. I really felt KC should have dropped a one-year deal on Latos before overextending on Kennedy. So is Latos a homewrecker or a difference maker? And again, that's from Jim. What do you think? He can sign a one-year deal with the White Sox. Obviously, last year was an utter nightmare on every level possible. Um, and the attitude's been an issue throughout, but for the most part, it hadn't affected him because he'd been so good. You know, coming into last year, Latos had a career 3.34 ERA, a 1.17 WHIP, eight strikeouts, under three walks. I mean, he was a damn good pitcher, and so you tolerate that kind of that kind of stuff. But he seems to scorch the earth uh, from every place that he leaves: San Diego, Cincy, now Mil- uh, now Miami. I don't think he's saying anything about either of the LA teams, but I wouldn't put it past him. Now he joins uh, his fourth team in, in two years with the White Sox. Anything here left for 28-year-old? I think so, actually. I mean, I think the, I was out on Matt Latos. Uh, I'm a hipster, everybody, and I was out on Matt Latos I was. when he got traded when he got traded away from the Padres, just mostly because I heard some stuff about his makeup and injury history and that injuries were coming. So uh, I haven't owned Matt Latos in a long time, but like I said, like I always say, you know, all guys, everybody has a price, and and guys can fall far enough for me to start liking them again. And a 9.9% swing strike rate last year and a pitching mix that still has some things going for it. He's really – he's got actually a weird uh, group of movements because he's kind of – I think his, his release is so over the top in a way. Um, in terms of – it doesn't look over the top because he leans his body, but the, the, the actual hand – is very vertical. And what that means is he's got a lot of rise and uh, not a lot of side-to-side movement. Okay. So I, I don't know if that's a big deal. I think the rise and drop are really good for whiffs. And so that's, if you look at the outcomes of his, of his pitches, even last year, just looking at last year, 
18% whiffs on the slider, always been a really good thing for him. Um, and then 12% on the curve, decent. And then that, it says it's a split finger. He might throw some split fingers, but also some of those are the critter. The, uh, oh, the, yeah. The, where he, he has like a knuckle curve grip on the pitch, and then he flicks his finger at the end, and it, and it does some unspeakably weird things. Uh, so, I, you know, he's got a three-pitch mix, four, five. He's doing sort of the kitchen sink type stuff. And uh, but it's not a bad fastball yet because it's still average velocity for a right-hander, and uh, he's still getting those whiffs. And you know the walk rates aren't bad. So really, it's all about health for him. And if he can be healthy, I think he can be better. I think he can. I can be thinking being closer to those fans' projections, basically a four ERA, one two five WHIP. And I actually think, you know, honestly, if that swinging strike rate, if it was, if he was in good health, I think he could be a little bit better than that. Yeah, I thought. I mean, he's gonna... obviously on a make good contract. You know, going to do his best to re- recover his career, and uh, gonna he's probably going to ignore some barking in the elbow and shoulder if he's going you know, to get another deal. You know. Yeah, if he if he went out and put up a, a nice year, um, kind of on par with what he did prior to last year, Latos could still get a substantial contract. Like yeah, said, one last. Yeah, one yeah. one last hurrah, like a four year deal or something, because he's only going to be twenty eight. This is his age twenty eight season for Latos. I was in on him last year. It obviously didn't work. I thought it, I thought it could go well with with Miami, but it just it, it really didn't. And although you look at a four forty eight ERA in those sixteen starts, and it's backed up by a three forty one FIP because the skills were still there. Uh, he had a god awful first start. I think it was two thirds of an inning, seven runs. Atlanta of all teams had his number last year. Uh, with that terrible offense, they they blasted him for 12 runs in three and two-thirds innings uh, of work across two starts. It was just really bad uh, that Atlanta had his number, and that kind of tanked his numbers. You're already talking about a small sample anyway. So, yeah, I think I'll, I will jump back in probably in a league or two this year just because the price will be right. But I understand that uh, the expectations have to be lowered. So it'll be interesting to see maybe if Don Cooper can work some things out with Latos. I don't know what the clubhouse is going to be like out there. I know Jim was making some jokes about it, but yeah, he's going to have to tone it down a little bit. Um, you know, it's not, he's not a, he's not a, I don't think, I don't think he's a mixed league guy unless it's more, um, I mean, I had him 119. I was actually worse. I, I had him lower than consensus and I had the benefit of knowing he was going to Chicago uh, when I was making my ranking. So, you know, it might look like I'm down on him, but what I but I'm basically saying is that he's an only league guy. I think. Yeah, and that, uh, that's completely decent. In terms of you know the kind of guys that are one dollar pitchers in only leagues or, or two dollar pitchers, I think. I mean, I would take you know some other guys. Let me let me sort again for for my ranking here. So I've got them around. Latos. Oh crud! Let me see here. I've got him at one nineteen. Um, other American leaguers, Danny Duffy. I take him over Danny Duffy because I don't like Danny Duffy. Yeah, I take. I think I take him over Jesse Chavez because Jesse Chavez, I think, is going to be a swingman, fifth, sixth guy, up and down. Rannis Elias, I like Elias a little bit better, but Elias is going to probably be in that fifth, sixth role and in the minors too. I mean, they can put Joe Kelly in the five slot and put Rannis Elias still has options. So yeah, he could be the seventh starter really if you if you're if you're ranking right. them all. Um, I like him better than Hap, Hap I think who we Hap, just talked about. Hap yep. Doesn't really have the upside. So who are, who are guys that I like better than Latos in that same range? Matt Shoemaker, better Park. Daniel Norris, you know, better raw better, stuff and younger. 
Daniel Norris more upside, but you might have to like in an AL only league, you might have to pay some decent coin for Norris. I mean, that's true. And, There's going to be some. And high for years. all of his all of his nice things that Norris does, he still has a big command issue, and it's still the American League. Matt Latos might be two dollars. Norris might be six dollars, and you might want to have a Latos. So, um, you know, things change so much when it comes to league type and what what's going on in that yeah. league type. Yeah. I would say I like Latos, but. You know, he's not the fresh maker uh, when it comes to when no, it comes to a lot regularly. Of, a lot of folks are latose intolerant, that's for sure. Fifteen <laughs> team mixed league, start getting deep, start getting in reserve. He's somebody I might consider. That's about the only mixed league right now. Ten and twelve team. I don't think you can get deep enough for me to pick, be drafting latose right now, and I just don't think you'll have to. Just put him on your watch list, though. I know sometimes folks, you know, if you don't like the guy personality wise, you won't draft him, but you know, you're not you're not trying to draft a, a a team of of cool dudes necessarily. You're trying to win, and I think Latos could help you do that in the right situation this year. So we'll keep an eye on that. You know, that's going to wrap us up. I, th- I hope folks enjoyed talking about your pitcher rankings. Again, they will be linked in the show notes if you want to scan them up and down. You know, has been crushing at answering the comments that that folks are leaving. So if you got something for him, go ahead and put a comment in there. When we come back next week, we will definitely talk hitters. I'm not lying this time. I lied last time. Uh, I don't want to be branded as a liar, but uh, we had to. We had to talk about your rankings. I thought it was too good to pass up. So we'll get back on track next week. Jason and I will be here over the weekend. We'll be back on Sunday talking something. Who knows? I don't know. But, you know, I hope you have a, a great rest of your week and a good weekend. Yes. Thanks for listening. <laughs>